create small-scale farmers with a network to connect with one another. We make the world safer for children. Our mission is to quantify the entire planet in real time. The idea is to teach mathematics in an engaging and fun way. Our mission is imagining a world free of heart disease and stroke. Technology is bigger than us. The only thing that you can do is come up with the best ways to utilize it. Take technology and use it as an agent that encourages creativity, curiosity, and empowerment. It makes you ask yourself a lot of questions. The challenge is what technology can help you search for that child. How do we use technology for big data, for autonomy, and put it at the service of the planet? So this is not a small challenge. We want to teach them to fall in love with mathematics. And we do it in the way of computer games. AWS is a central component in our backbone. If you want to expand in a scaled way, you cannot do it without technology. You cannot do it without the cloud. What is the innovation when you think about the role that technology can play? One of the mechanisms that we're creating that we're excited about is our community innovation exchange. It's a technology-facing platform that will be the repository of all the great solutions that are going on around these communities. The gateway into identifying what other great people are doing, how they did it, and how you too can do it yourself. Every second matters when a child goes missing. We want to give law enforcement tools to be able to help search for the missing child. You upload a picture of the child, facial recognition starts running. We use AWS's recognition instantaneously within 30 seconds. They get that result. Here's a match that could generate a new lead for the police to actually find out where it's come from. That could be the dark web, that could be to Instagram, to Flickr, wherever. Right now, it's estimated that over a billion smallholder farmers across the world. These small-scale farmers contribute upwards of 70% of the food that the world consumes, 90% of whom don't have access to, to an internet connection. We're using technology that farmers have easy access to, SMS. With the peer-to-peer -peer model, when a farmer is seeking advice, a lot of custom algorithms and machine learning have to be created to make sure that they're talking with the right farmer who has a very similar reality to them so that they're providing the right information to a system. Oceans really drive key planetary systems that affect us on land. Imagine a sailboat covered with solar panels and has no engine. It relies purely on wind power for propulsion. The types of sensors that we have on the sail drone is pressure sensors for barometric pressure, air temperature, carbon dioxide, and a telecommunication link back through satellite that streams real-time data back to shore. So for example, our Antarctic circumnavigation, it had never been done before. We sail around Antarctica in 196 days with three vehicles and release the data 20 days after the mission was over. Anyone can download the scientific data and immediately start integrating it to get some insight. What we are doing today could not have happened even 10 years ago. So for us, an AWS was a natural partner in trying to get a quick start around both the storage and the computer infrastructure in a way that can scale literally planetary-wide. Technology is the agent of change. 
We want to make a revolution in teaching mathematics worldwide. I think technology can play an amazing part in creating a more inclusive environment for those in the communities in the United States and around the world. Equitable health and well-being for all people. That's enough to get excited about, and that's why I'm excited about the future. We do this ultimately for the benefit of humanity. How do we use the technology that we have developed and put it at the service of the planet? We want to stay here and we want to make it better. Having a child smile is a thousand words, a million words. They can't describe it. And that's the best day when I get those calls of going, hey, we just found a child. So I do think that there's a place for technology in the future. We just need to remember to be human about it. Please welcome Vice President, International Sales Public Sector, Amazon Web Services, Max Peterson. With every step we take, Good morning. Hello and welcome and thank you for being here. I love that video. I don't, can I hear a round of applause for everybody who gets the mission of our public sector customers? I thought that was so good, you know. Uh, this year, you are in great company. Over 6,000 strong customers from government, from education, from not-for-profits, national healthcare systems, and all of the partner ecosystem that supports the mission of our public sector customers are here. I think the actual number is 6,212 and maybe still counting, because I know with their travel problems. Um, but it is just fantastic that you're here, you're here attending, you're learning from others, um, and we're, we've got a great morning of learning here, and then a great day ahead of you. Um, and I think what's really important, and you heard uh, Andy talk about this, is the fact that we need leaders. And you all represent the leaders of a massive public sector transformation. And I say that because around the world, there are currently more than 7,000 government institutions, more than 10,000 academic institutions, and over 25,000 not-for-profit organizations, all building and delivering on that mission that we have for the public sector. Um, I can't say it any better, I think, than the video there because customers are using AWS to move faster. We know now that speed matters. Um, we know that innovation matters, and that's because you're serving the needs of citizens, you're serving the needs of students, and you're serving the needs of humanity. Um, in fact, let me give you one great example quickly of how government plays a huge role in helping uh, public sector move faster. Recently, the Australia Department uh, or Digital Transformation Agency took a look across the whole of government and said we can help government move faster by putting one agreement in place that covers all of the agencies and then leveraging the power of that government spend to reduce costs and allow uh, agencies and ministries in Australia to move faster on that digital transformation. Um, and I should add that we have teams from our public sector business all around the world here with you. And so if you need to seek out somebody and understand how we can help you go faster, uh, please look for your uh, Amazon representative. Um, now, I have a challenge for you. Um, your mission, and since you're in Las Vegas here, I know you'll accept it, 
is to drive disruptive innovation and help build a better world. And so today we're gonna to share a lot of these inspiring stories, these exciting announcements that are designed to help us uh, serve your mission. And your mission is to be able to take these things back with you and start making change happen. One of the ways you can start doing this, and we're super excited about this, on your chair there should have been a little card, it's called Fix This. Um, one of the best parts of reInvent, as we talked about, is learning and getting to know each other. So Fix This is a new way that we're going to provide an episode that tells the story of specific public sector customers and provides educational use cases, the, the how-to material um, that you can use in your own digital transformation. So I'd love to see you subscribe, but your mission is to contribute. And so we'll have a contact us uh, ability on that. And when you have an astounding or an amazing story, we want you to contact us and then we wanna be able to share that and let others learn from you. Now I mentioned that we're gonna have a ton of different learnings. Um, I hope that you've been diving deep in the first two days. Today, a couple of things to highlight. Immediately after the keynote today, Tom Soderstrom and Michael Cox from NASA, uh, NASA JPL are gonna be discussing innovation and robotics. That's pretty cool. Later this afternoon, Jed Sudwell, uh, who's been working for years and years and years on open data, is gonna have a session and uh, he'll help folks learn about how you can stage petabytes of data for analysis. Uh, it's a good session. To learn more about how you get ready for a cloud workforce, which is one of the most frequent things we hear about, how do you develop the organizational and cultural uh, ability, right, to use and leverage cloud computing, um, stop by and listen to the afternoon session with Dr. Uh, Shanika Hope. Um, and then tomorrow, NASA JPL and uh, the VR group are gonna be talking about their experiences in modernizing uh, uh, efforts to go to the cloud. Um, so all of these are on your reInvent app. You know, please stay tuned and look at those opportunities. Um, I also wanna highlight the partners um, that make a lot of this possible, uh, both from an enabling and a technology sense, but also from a sponsorship sense, so thank you very much. Please check out these partners if you get a chance to. Kerasoft has been doing work for years and years in uh, the federal government space, and they provide support for education and health IT solutions. Um, they're in the, uh, in the expo hall. Go and stop by and see them, talk about the solutions they've got. Uh, GitLab. Um, is, is a partner that's been working with us to help accelerate uh, your deployment capabilities. And so GitLab's uh, VP of Alliances, Brandon Jung, is here. Maybe if you're here, Brandon, you raise your hand. All right, I don't see him right out here. Um, but stop by and see what they're doing because their continuous integration, continuous delivery tools allow you to deploy and manage much faster. And so it is about speed uh, and uh, GitLab helps in that respect. And then finally, Novetta, a great partner and a great sponsor here. They've been working on disaster response. They've been combining a lot of those edge computing capabilities that you're hearing about to deliver neat new capabilities. And in particular, uh, if, if uh, your mission requires ISR, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, um, you should stop by and talk to them because they're doing really cool things at the edge. And so without further delay, let's get started. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to drive digital transformation across government, education, and nonprofits, and build a better world. To help you on your mission, please welcome the Vice President of the Worldwide Public Sector, Teresa Carlson. This message will now self-destruct. We gotta have a little fun, right? We are in Las Vegas. 
So I should say happy holidays. I'm in my Santa outfit, just so we have a little bit of fun with this. I'm always so excited to see you all. This room gets bigger absolutely every year. And as Max said, we have over 6,000 individuals this year from public sector, which is more people than we had at the first reInvent eight years ago. So is that, that's pretty good, right? I'm excited about that. And the other thing is um, Sandy Carter, who now runs our partner program for my business, is over in the partner hall, but 70% of the partners here this year identified as having a public sector practice. So that was so cool. So it's really good. We're gonna have a, we have an action-packed uh, day for you. And I just really hope that you all have enjoyed your time here so far. So if you got to see Andy's keynote yesterday, which I thought was really excited, you know, Andy is one of our biggest supporters in public sector. You know, he saw an opportunity 10 years ago when he hired me to build a business and he has just been, um, you know, you saw he had government front and center, education, not-for-profit. He talks about that right out of the gate. And there is never a time when he is not so excited to see and talk to our customers. And almost 50% of his time this year is really spent with our customers. So, so exciting about that. But there were some really fun services yesterday that we announced that I think you all should be uh, excited about utilizing in your cloud journey. Uh, six new Amazon SageMaker capabilities, five new AI services, and really exciting for us is general availability of Outpost, which so many of you yesterday talked to me about, and even before that last year, it was one of the biggest things that our customers wanted to talk about, which helps them with a hybrid model and can be uh, really a game changer for our missions around the world. And a fun example is the Principality of Monaco, which is a small country, but they just recently decided to implement a cloud-first policy, and they're using AWS Outpost and Amazon Direct Connect to build a hybrid cloud capability and architecture. So this hybrid approach, which I know for all my customers around the world are interested in, is gonna make it possible for, to implement your, and accelerate your public sector initiatives like e-government, mobility, education, and healthcare at scale. So I hope you guys can um, really take advantage of all these new services. Now, over the next 90 minutes, we're gonna try to make this go really fast because I know these sessions can get long. We're gonna cover a lot of territory, uh, but I wanna do something a little bit different because uh, for public sector, technology is really just half the story. And I know that everybody loves our technology, which we appreciate, but we've, we've really also got to spend time and talk about the programs, the people, and the resources that really make uh, your ability to move out is just as important as a technology. All these have to come together. And it makes our customers, I think, even a, a bit more unique in how we think about it. Uh, but we've created lots of programs to free you from your burden of legacy IT. <clears throat> so you can serve your mission better, faster, cheaper, more securely. Um, and the fact is with AWS, you don't just get IT solutions, you get a solution that really does serve your mission. 
And I tell this story a lot, but in my early days of being here, uh, I met an, a military four-star who used to talk about a triangle that was, he used to say, better, faster, cheaper, and secure. You can't get any of those in wartime, he used to say. If it's better, uh, it's not gonna be cheaper, and it's probably not gonna be faster. And he would go through this whole scenario. And when I came to AWS 10 years ago, I had this hugely aha moment that we could finally provide our customers this triangle, better, faster, less expensive with security by design. And I'm proud to say every day I hear that from lots of customers around the world that tell me their story. Um, but to do that, we have to start by asking kind of, what are the blockers that stand in the way for your mission? And I do bet dollar to donuts, because I hear this a lot, it's legacy IT and retiring technical debt. You know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. I just heard about a program in California, 50 years. And they're trying to literally merge these systems, um, take them off of old legacy technology and move to modern architecture and then truly innovate. So these are the things customers in public sector are trying to do. These are, these are huge issues that they have to deal with. And you have to do everything from, again, design, architecture, culture, and skills. Um, <clears throat> so one of our customers, the US Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, is a really great example. They thought big on how to manage their move to the cloud. And instead of trying to update individual systems one at a time, they took an enterprise-wide approach and they tackled the entire data tier of every application that they had and built out an AWS enterprise environment that they could build on top of to host all these ATFs apps. So they migrated all their development, test and development <clears throat> and production data now into the AWS cloud with full security to operate, which we know is very important for all of our customers. So today, I'm proud to announce that ATF is all in on AWS and is retiring, yay, 20 years of technical debt. Is that not awesome? So they're, not, they're now in, the, they're in a motion of innovating and they've given themselves back time to focus on their mission, which is really what we need and want our customers to do, is to be able to focus on their mission and not just patching and managing legacy IT. So uh, retiring technical debt is, a, debt is a really big step forward for customers like ATF, but just because you're out of technical debt doesn't mean you're done with the technology, of course, because AWS allows you to continually take advantage of those cloud-native uh, skills and features. Um, that way you can continually innovate, and I think Andy talked about this a little bit on stage yesterday, but I don't want it to go unnoticed that you have a process of kind of lifting and shifting, modernizing and innovating, continually innovating. And this is where you want to be because, because you've just built a system shouldn't mean it, it should lie there stagnant. You want to have an architecture and design that allows you to build on the things that you need. And this is where cloud really differentiates for you. And it's probably one of the hardest things for our customers to start to understand is how they begin to add on to these native cloud capabilities that really help them drive their mission in the right direction. Um, and it also just allows you to automate much of the maintenance, the modernization, all the processes.
But once you've automated, we, we need to make sure that we're helping your entire organization then do this from the developers to the analysts and also all the leaders that need to also help make policies and um, approve budgets and IDIQs and design. So this really needs to be a model from the top down that everybody understands is gonna change your process. But let's take kind of a closer look at an example of one customer who did this. We just recently had a public sector summit in Singapore and I was, I wish we had this customer up here because I was like, wow, they went through how much technical debt they've gotten rid of to serve the Singapore citizens using AWS, uh, both on the business side and the direct citizen engagement. But they've used AWS to automate all these processes that you see here, which is kind of unbelievable, um, you know, from provisioning, runtime management, app development. And they really said, we need to be a lot more mission focused. We are, we are spending way too much time again on the details of all this where we need to move faster. But they have reduced, by focusing on this, they've reduced the time needed to share data across all these agencies. So this is a multi-agency sharing of information, but they've reduced their cycle time from six to 13 months down to seven working days. And he went, he'd tell the story so much better than I'm telling it, but it was really amazing to see what they're doing. And Singapore is a government that is going all in on the cloud. Uh, and they're a very modern place. If you haven't been there, I hope we have some folks here in uh, Singapore in the audience. Um, but it's a modern place. They do a lot. I call it a country and a large city. And they're constantly doing things to modernize and improve what they're doing for their citizen services. Um, but most importantly, this time, the Singapore government, in terms of not just savings, but what one of the things they said they wanted to do was to work backwards from their customers and use our working backwards process. And for example, the citizens, as they progress through life, they wanted to be able to help them hit milestones that require government to interact with them on these services. For example, having a baby. So the government created something called a Moment in Life app, which is a one-stop shop for families on government services. So after a child is born, they can go in and they can use the app to file for birth registration, understand what immunizations are needed, give them timelines and alerts, um, daycare opportunities, and anything else that can, needs to happen along the way. But in short, they want that ability to interact with government to be more like, your, like the phone, your smartphone that you're using and have those services at your fingertip, which I thought was just so cool. Um, in addition to uh, technical debt and manual processes, um, we see an increasing complex security environment. And I want you to kind of pay attention what you're seeing run here on, on the background, which are cities, states, and whole of governments are being targeted by cybersecurity attacks. So all of these that you see happened in 2019. I was just in Johannesburg in October. The city there was hit with a huge ransomware attack. The second in, in the last five months, and the city decided not to pay the Bitcoin ransom, which was about $35,000, and they're still struggling to bring their systems back up. 
Um, I just met with one of the governors of a state in the U.S. who told me that they're being attacked school by school with ransomware, and they're paying it. They don't talk about it. $25,000 a bit. I mean, they're like, they're just paying it because they don't know what else to do. And you've seen everything here happening, Atlanta, the city of Baltimore. So one of the things we actively talk about with governments, a move to the cloud can help you de detect and defend potential cyber attacks. And the good news that there are some immediate steps that you can take right now to protect your organization. First, to have a viable backup in place so that affected systems can quickly restore. And believe it or not, all of these customers I've talked to, they're running on data centers, unpatched. They talk about having a DR and a coop strategy. Guess what? They don't have a backup. So they've lost their data. The city of Atlanta lost all their data. So you need a model where you're backing it up. This is an act of terror. This is an act of war when people are going at your data. And we have to treat this very differently. In fact, one of the things that I tell lawmakers is we have to come to the re realization that these are like terrorist attacks on our organizations, our government, our people, and that we have to have laws and policies in place in a way to respond quickly to these. And cloud is a good defender against it. And so there's three areas quickly that you can do. Encrypt at motion, motion at rest. And Steve Schmidt, our CISO, we had him speak to our international government group. 117 of our services are already encrypted by default. And we're, continue, we're gonna continue to add and make sure all of our services are encrypted. And then you can use your own, of course, as well. Um, so encrypt everything. You can encrypt your data in motion and at rest. And in fact, again, like we talked about, by default, you want it there. And you can also inherit all the security policies and practices and architectures that are available to you. So you want to encrypt, back up, and then inherit all the tools. But get yourself informed and understand how cloud is a really good way to defend against these. And we have to get much more serious and not hide what's happening, but we have to respond to it by both policies, laws, and technical guidance and architectures that help us improve and protect what we're doing on our mission. Now, one of my favorite customers who've been with us a really long time is FINRA. And they are one of the most security-sensitive organizations in the world, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA. And I am thrilled to announce today, drumroll, that FINRA is building one of the world's lar largest financial repositories on AWS. This is called the Consolidated Audit Trail, or CAP. And we've been, working that, we've been working with FINRA for a long time. We're a partner. They are a partner. They, I don't look at them as a customer. We have a true partnership with them. And they have been building their systems on AWS for a very long time and giving us feedback. And we've actually built tools that they provided us feedback on that have helped us develop and be better. But they, they chose us a long time ago as their preferred cloud provider, and now they've chosen us to be their partner with CAT. And this is a new repository that will create uh, audit trails of customer order events and information for all U.S. equities 
uh, and listed options across the U.S. market and trading venues. I cannot, um, I cannot emphasize enough we are talking about the largest, again, financial repository in the world, 100 billion market events a day from 22 stock exchanges, 1,500 broker-dealers. And the idea, and by the way, that's 100 billion now. Who knows what it's gonna be next year? It could be 200 billion. And the idea is we don't want to have any more flash crashes or market incidents. And the idea of CAT is it's gonna get, help us gain insights and analyze uh, anomalies in the market and help protect investors for, by us better understanding and detecting illegal market activity. In short, in short FINRA is going to have amazing insights to achieve the mission faster, better, and more securely. And by the way, I had a great meeting with them yesterday, and we actually don't even know what we're going to learn yet because we, there's so much information we're gonna start gathering, analyzing, and using all those cloud native tools and features to be able to get those insights that are gonna be so valuable. So FINRA is gonna rely on these 200 plus services and features that focus on security and compliance to help them get there. So really excited about this new service, which you'll see a press release hopefully coming out about right now. See, I did play Santa Claus. I get to put a press release out. <laughs> Um, so now we've talked about strengthening your security and getting rid of your technical debt. You're automating everything. You're running faster. You're doing it cheaper. You're getting all the agility. Um, but how can you innovate now to really serve your mission even better? Well, it starts with making um, your individuals and your organization cloud ready with the skills and that you are bringing as, le as leaders of your organization a true culture of innovation, which again, Andy talked about yesterday, but the two have to go hand in hand because you know, in most of my meetings with my customers, culture and education is the big thing that comes up. I mean, security, they of course is a given, but the, the skills and the culture of getting people to really make that move so what we've done is we've leveraged now over a decade of cloud experience in our Amazon working backward process to help you build the skills and culture you need to help your mission go forward. And I just wanted to share a few opportunities that are even available to you today to help. And there's more, but here's kind of some fun ones. This year in 2019 in the US in Washington DC, we tested an AWS federal US government pop-up loft. And we just had, I was so excited to see we had over 3,400 customers show up in less than a two-week period. And what we did is we are just kind of there. It's full-time. We have beer, if you want it, and you can drink it, which is kind of fun. Um, but we have soda, too, or water. But you get, not only that, you get architects. You get leaders in the business. And you just bring in any problem you have and we help you. It's basically we're there for, for you. Um, so we have the best of the best. And I had a bunch of people send me notes and say, wow, I jumped into the pop-up loft. I got help immediately on, on something I just, I couldn't figure it out. So we're there to help. We don't turn anybody down. And we want you to be able to benefit. So in 2020, we're gonna be working to set this up in Washington full time so that we have people that can come in and just anytime they want help, they can pop in. 
uh, I'm going to see if I can get my team to work 24-7. You think I can? I don't know. They're like, what? <laughs> Maybe we can make it virtual on the, like, shifts or something. Um, but it was, it was really fun to hear people enjoy it. And the other thing that we've heard a lot about is um, executive education at the highest levels. Um, and Liam Maxwell is now part of our team, and Liam was the CTO of the UK government. And Liam kind of really brought this to my attention, was probably a group that we were not paying as much attention to, was the most senior leaders in government who didn't really understand what this whole cloud transformation thing was about. So he has started, as part of his digital innovation group, a government executive education program uh, that looks to help them build that culture of innovation. And we now, it's a four-day style MBA course that we partner with business schools around the world, and they learn best practices, and they share ideas, and we give them things that we're seeing that are working around the world. And they, they also talk about things they're concerned about. But this year, we ran it in the UK, Canada, and Italy with 53 international delegates from nine countries, and we're going to expand it. It was kind of our pilot, and we got really good feedback. So we're going to do it now, and uh, for sure, in those countries, along with Singapore, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, and the UK, and the US, and um, we'll see if there's others, and you feel like you have the need, tell us, and we'll run them there. We've also want to lower the barriers uh, from things that have prevented your team from actually moving really fast. And so we want your mission to be able to think bigger and modernize your whole of government. Like this is a really kind of think big thing that we now have, literally we will come in and do a government workload assessment for you. And we have done this a few times. Max and I did it, I think, originally on back of napkins when we started working with countries. We said, okay, what workloads? And then we brought in our team of that could do it better than us. But we, we saw the need for this because government said, can you help us understand what our workload looks like today and how it would look like in a cloud environment? So we do whole of government or large agency or group assessments will come in and we'll work with you and share all the data. You can say yes or no, but we'll share what we have. And then that will give you an opportunity to make an economic decision and assessment as well, it might be a security assessment. But if you're really looking to go digital and you want to make a great change, then you need to be creating a grand plan around doing this. So if you want to learn more, talk to your account executive, myself, Max, Dave Levy, Kim Majerus, any of us, let us know, and we'll uh, help you with that. Um, the other thing that we heard a lot from governments is that they wanted a catalog of open source solutions and code that they could use. So we wanted to offer another way to help you get going. Uh, and we need to validate your solutions, of course. So that's why this week we're announcing AWS Open Source Government Solutions, which is going to be a catalog that points to open source code, standards, practices, and helps governments implement around the world. And we want you to share and work together on this, because why? We can be better together, right, on our mission. And so we want you to contribute so others can learn from you. Because we have such amazing solutions around the world. So if you're willing to share, reach out. We're going to start cataloging this. Again, it's something we've heard from lots of our customers. They wanted this. 
And then another way that we've seen, these are, this is really something I'm super excited about. We did a pilot of something we call Cloud Innovation Centers for the last couple of years. Where's Ben Butler? Ben runs our, there's Ben. Ben runs our Cloud Innovation Centers, which if anybody knows me, I usually just give somebody a job. I'm like, Ben, this is your job. Go figure this out. So Ben helped me figure out how to set up these Cloud Innovation Centers. And now we have focused these, rapidly expanding them around the world, and let me kind of try to simply tell you what they are. They're a public-private partnership between universities and AWS. And what we look for are passionate universities that want to commit with us to drive change in public sector. So what we do, we go in, they provide the real estate, they have resources that they have, we provide resources, technology, and our processes on working backwards, um, and we come together and we do challenges. And these challenges are based on different things. Like at Arizona State University, we do smart cities, and we're doing everything around smart cities. Now, I think they'll add, but that was kind of the fundamental uh, reasoning around it. Um, at Cal Poly, which was our first one, I think we have over 44 challenges that are documented on the web with them, which are so exciting. And we came together with a public sector entity, the university, and we solved the problem. So over the last 12 months, we've launched six, Arizona, Korea, Australia, two in Germany, Germany and one more in France. And today, I'm announcing three new kicks, two in the Middle East with our partners at Tamkeen, the University of Bahrain Cloud Innovation Center, and Bahrain Polytechnic Emerging Digital Application Lab. So these are huge supporters. Uh, Bahrain is a country that is truly going through a digital transformation, and they're taking it so seriously. Where's our partners from Tamkeen? They're, they're there. They have taken this so seriously, they literally reimbursed any individual in the country who gets an AWS uh, certification. And so they are truly trying to be a startup nation. And I've been going there now since 2013, and I can't tell you the changes I've seen in that little country, in including their ability to reclaim land, which is quite amazing. So exciting if you get a chance to go to Bahrain, let's uh, please visit, you'll enjoy it. It's a beautiful country. And then we're gonna be announcing another one after a while, but I'm gonna save that one because somebody's gonna come on stage and announce that. But if you have ideas uh, of what you wanna do as a public sector challenge, we'll take that on in these centers. So that way you have educational, you know, the institutions, the students along with us. And a lot of times there are uh, researchers and professors get involved. So speaking of solutions, this year we published around um, our first round of open source solutions created in the kit. So a couple I wanted to tell you, we have everything from protecting crops from pests to managing digital evidence. We're doing the Monterey Bay, some programs around that. So many more, and there's a site right here, you can go look at them, aws.com, aws.amazon.com slash kit. So please go look at those and stay tuned in because we're going to publish a lot more. Um, so with that, real quickly, I wanted to talk to you about sitting on a cloud challenge. We had for years, I had always said I thought cities was a place that could be the fastest innovators. 
that they would have an opportunity to really innovate. So we did a City on a Cloud Innovation Challenge about five years ago. At the 7th in June, it's the first time I didn't announce winners, we wanted to revamp it a little bit, but we, we have. And the idea is we wanted to provide cities that had ideas to help take them from vision to reality, both with the technology, cash, and training. So we kind of added some things. So this year, we listened to that feedback, and we've added where they get up to $20,000 in credits, $20,000 in grant. And by the way, if it's a really good idea and they need more help, we'll keep helping them, because we, we, we want them to be successful and finish this. And so why did we do this? Because they felt they needed credits, and we wanted to combine that technical expertise. So this year, we received submissions from large and small cities, and we were really impressed with all their applications. So today, drumroll, I want to announce 18 winners across six categories that included constituent services, solving persistent problems, sustainability and equity, powered by AWS, dream big, and public data sets. So let's unveil the winners. So there they are. Of course, I'm not going to name them all off, but that's where they came from all around the United States. We had a total of 13 government agencies, three nonprofits, and two educational organizations from coast to coast. And they reflected all kinds of solutions. In New York, the Office of Economic Development created a solution around connecting New Yorkers to all the benefits. In West Virginia, the state police are tackling challenges of online sexual uh, child exploitation. And then the city of Boston's using AWS Open Data Registry. So let's give a big hand to all the winners. This is a lot of work. So now I want to introduce someone that's embracing cloud to serve their mission in a really big city, the city of Los Angeles. They were one of our very first city on a cloud winners in 2018, in 2016, and then they won again in 2018. And for proposing a cloud-based early warning system to improve earthquake readiness. And I lived in California for about three years. They, have, they do have earthquakes. So here to explain more is Ted Ross, who's the CIO of the city of Los Angeles. Ted, come on up. everybody. Thank you very much, Teresa. Uh, you know, when we think of Los Angeles, we think of a lot of different things. And uh, innovation is always a big conversation. We get to conferences like this. If you're anything like me, I get here, I hear all these ideas of all these exciting ways of trying to get things done. And of course, you come back to the office and you have to figure a lot of things out. And what I'd like to talk just for a couple of minutes today is to talk about not just the innovation side of what we all have to do in government, but to talk a little bit about resilience, which has become an even bigger conversation as Teresa was alluding to. Certainly, Los Angeles is a global brand, right? Uh, LA, we've got over 4 million people who live in Los Angeles. We have over 500,000 businesses that operate out of Los Angeles. And every year, we get around 48 million tourists. And when you think of LA, usually what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Feel free to shout out, LA. Hollywood, right, Lakers, so Hollywood, we're known for celebrities, we're certainly known for sports, we're known for great weather, we're known for tourist attractions, people think of stuff like Disneyland, etc. but we're also known for earthquakes, right? 
And this is a horrific picture uh, of our 1994 Northridge quake. So that was our last big earthquake, and it was a devastating one. It killed 60 people. It injured over 9,000 people. And it did over 74 billion, yes, billion with a B, worth of damage. And the worst part is, is as bad as that was in 1994, that same earthquake would likely be worse today. We have over one million more people living in LA today than we did back in 1994. And we're reliant on digital infrastructure. Think about your life. Think of the technology you were using back in 1994 versus the technologies we rely on today. So traffic systems and, and communications and all the ways that we get our news and get our information would likely be highly disrupted. And what it creates for us is not just a priority for us to try to transform and innovate as a government, but it's to be there when our citizens and our residents need us most, it's to be resilient as a city. And that's an even larger goal, but that's one that we've been working with AWS and using the cloud and other partners to be able to really move the needle in that regards. Let me ask you this question. If you had 20, 30, 45 seconds of warning before a major earthquake hit, what could you do with it? We can't predict an earthquake. We don't have science yet at that level, but we can do earthquake early warning. And that's something that really only recently became a capability for us. And we're very excited, the city of LA, that we could actually start to move the needle on that conversation. For the last 15, 20 years, my elected officials have been asking that question, is there a technology that will warn us of a coming earthquake so people can prepare themselves? And I'm proud to say that today, that's a technology that through the power of the cloud, we can do today. And it's really a simple concept. We deploy over 200 different sensors across Southern California. And what they do is they do the difference between a P wave and an S wave. A P wave, and, and let's be honest, I had to learn this from our good partners at US Geological Survey. I am not somebody who's an expert in earthquakes, but fortunately we've got experts over at Caltech in Pasadena who could help inform and enlighten us on it. And what you do is a P wave moves at the speed of light and you can actually identify the earthquake using the P waves while the shaking moves at the speed of sound, much slower. And this is a very exciting statistic that really kicked off this entire project and it's this. If you were standing in Los Angeles and an earthquake occurred along the San Andreas, right, the famous San Andreas fault line, so famous it even has a movie, right? If you were standing in Los Angeles, you would have 45 seconds of warning before you actually felt the shaking. Now let me ask you this question, 45 seconds. That allows you to drop, cover, and hold. It allows school children across LA Unified School District to drop, cover, and hold. It allows a doctor who's doing very precise surgery on your lungs or your heart or my heart or my lungs to step away with the scalpel before the shaking occurs. It allows things like elevators to stop at the next floor and automatically open its doors so thousands of people aren't stuck in elevators after an earthquake requiring firefighters to rescue every single one of them. There are so many things you can do with tens of seconds. And that's where earthquake early warning comes in for us. So by taking those sensors, moving them across cellular technology, into the cloud and running through algorithms, we can communicate to this app known as ShakeAlert LA. The latency tested is between one and two seconds. So in about one and a half seconds, we can notify that app that shaking is coming. And using the location by giving permission on that phone, we can tell you and estimate when the shaking should actually be hitting you. 
So if you're located in one part, let's say on the east side of the county, versus the west side of the county, you can get different updates because it's intelligent and it's smart. ShakeAlert LA app not only notifies you of that emergency itself and notifies you of the coming earthquake, but it does a lot more. It has checklists in there to be able to prepare you for an earthquake because it's great to warn you about it, but if you have no water, if you have no food, if you have no medicine, it, there's not a lot of benefit necessarily. So it helps you prepare for it, it warns you of it, and then afterwards it shows you evacuation centers and places to recover. So we try to help you before, during, and after that earthquake. And in government, as in even with private sector, how do you know a product is a good product? Your customers actually use it. We have over 900,000 downloads of ShakerAlert LA since January of this year. And if your government is anything like my government, not all the stuff we do digitally is consumed by the people we want to consume. But we're very proud of the fact that this is an app that people are excited about and they're rallying around and they're using. But it's not just earthquake early warning that we use the cloud for. And the cloud plays a really important role in earthquake early warning. But it plays a role in a lot of other aspects of the city of LA. We love the cloud because it gives us instant access to really great tools and really great capabilities that we couldn't really build on-prem, or we certainly couldn't build in a cost-effective way or scale on-prem. This very grand photo on your left of me is in Fortune magazine. And I say very grand because I don't take photos like that, folks. Uh, they had me sit in our emergency operations center in LA, and we're very blessed to have a fantastic emergency operations center. But really what this photo is, is not about what you see, but what you don't see. We're using AWS to run a virtual emergency operations center, which means if one of those earthquakes or one of those disasters impacts this great physical facility, we have all the software and the capabilities that we have in this facility hosted in the cloud. So you give me an internet connection and some desktop PCs or laptops or smartphones, and we can build our emergency operations center anytime, anywhere. And that's the power of the cloud. And if I told you how much we were spending, we were spending less than $200 a month to simply have those capabilities up there. So it's not an expensive proposition, it just took us stepping out of ourselves and reinventing how we run an emergency operations center. Or, as you can see me there with my boss, Mayor Eric Garcetti, we do a lot around cybersecurity. We consume over one billion records every 24 hours just through our SIM to be able to identify cyber issues, cyber attacks, and to be able to prioritize what our staff should be spending time on or what is simply just noise that they could ignore. Or our data analysis projects just recently We've been leveraging AWS tools and just a couple of data scientists to do fantastic analysis with tools I could never build on-prem that I could leverage out of AWS to, to identify and analyze traffic patterns, to be able to reduce fraud, to be able to identify the cause of multi-million dollar lawsuits and implement solutions to prevent them. And these are just some of the projects that we're able to do data analysis out of. And once again, it's cloud opportunities and cloud technologies that make that available for us. We often talk about innovation, but something that we've been stressing in the city of Los Angeles, and I know many of you also have been, is around resilience itself. We are a highly digital society, and we're gonna keep digitizing. So our ability to sustain and be resilient when times get really tough is gonna to be another way that we're being judged. And I know what you might be asking yourself. 
If you're a smaller government, you're LA, you've got all these people and all this money, believe me, and I'm going through budgets right now. We don't nearly have the money you would think, and every dollar I spend on this is dollar that could be spent on police officers, could be spent on tackling homelessness, and all these other really major issues we have. The cloud provides my IT shop a really cost-effective way of really transforming the way we operate, and the beauty of the cloud is whether you're a city of LA or you're a much smaller city or a small county or a small state, whoever they may be, it's all readily available to us. That's something that we're very excited about. So I thank you for your time and I appreciate it. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was awesome. Ted, that was amazing. I think that is a great example of serving your mission and giving you back time and resources to be able to combat and fight these things that we see in major cities. And I know LA, you are dealing with a lot. So thank you so much for your time. Um, so let's talk about again, what other things are we doing around serving our mission? Because we're constantly thinking about the future and you need tools not for just today, but you need tools for the future as well. And the one thing at AWS that we're constantly trying to do is listen to you and understand where you need us to be for you. And we've heard you, and at the most basic level, we continue to expand our infrastructure footprint, which literally brings AWS to you around the world. This year, we launched a new region in Bahrain, a third availability zone in Mumbai, a number of new edge locations, including one in Colombia, we also have four new regions coming, along with four more points of presence, including one in Nairobi. So AWS customers are leveraging these investments to serve the mission. And these are just some of the ones that we talked about. I just recently was in um, South Africa and Spain, and our customers are so excited. I have folks from Indonesia and Singapore when I was there, and it's the number one thing that they say, that please keep bringing that infrastructure closer to us so that we can serve our mission. Um, I don't know, you know, for me, I'm a farm girl. I was raised in Kentucky, and I always still think about farming because a lot of my family did farming. And it's really come to the light of day for me again in the last couple of years as I go around the world and see how farming and agriculture is still so important to so many economies around the world. And in India, nearly 75% of that population, over 600 million people are dependent on farming. Um, this is a, they told me this and it's a, the statistic also from the World Bank that their food security as well as their economy depend on this sustainable supply chain. Uh, but what really caught my attention this time when I was there, I met with the Minister of Agriculture, and they are really focused on changing the technical environment to make this a reality. And what I found, we have 42 startups running on AWS in India and more that are being built, focused on cloud-based, agri-tech, precision farming that helped make this a reality. And we had like the most exciting discussions ab about this. Then I went to Africa where I basically had the same discussion 
And then later in the next week, I met with the CIO from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which we talked about again in the U.S., what we're trying to do here and how we keep our farming sustained. But it's really unbelievable. And the ability to see how technology is really changing their ability to have a sustainable supply chain and economic supply chain for all of these individuals that are dependent on this economy to make a living. Um, the other thing in India, they are trying to create 100 smart cities by 2023. Their Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs are working to support this development by, unify, by un, unifying thousands of data sets on AWS, which we're working with them on. And they're using the data right now to help gain more insights to improve the public services they need in these cities. They've got 10 projects already completed, and they plan to expand this to across 4,000 cities in, uh, in 2020. But this is a lesson that you can apply globally. And I talked about what was happening in Singapore, where we are really see governments now starting to combine data sets to share absolute values of information for their citizens, but also for them to be able to learn and gain insight so they can offer better services. And I don't know about you, but this is like new. Governments weren't thinking. I mean, they wanted to, of course they wanted to provide services, but they didn't think about how they looked at data in new ways to actually make this happen. Um, something also fun I wanted to share is supercomputing for researchers. I hear from a lot of researchers around the world, they need to be able to combine and look at their data and crunch it and get that advanced researching going. And just recently at the ice cube experiment, was anybody at the ice cube experiment in here? No? Well, this was really fun. The University of California, San Diego completed the largest cloud simulation in history. The experiment used 51,500 globally available GPUs across three cloud services, including AWS. And with the cloud, it was set up and run in a matter of hours and a fraction of the cost of a typical supercomputer. The other one that I wanted to share was uh, the American Heart Association Precision Medicine Platform, which we had the CEO up here a couple years ago to announce this, ran a deep learning project using seven CPUs to actually quickly screen and predict patients with cardiovascular disease looking at, looking at the knee which I didn't know, I learned something new about this. But they were able to analyze three million radiology images in just two months. Now, to put this into perspective, this same thing would have taken one expert technologist 22 years, okay? And they did it in two months. But even more impressive, the machine learning was four to 5% more accurate than the human reader was. These are just examples of things now that we're running to help show our customers the power of crunching massive data sets through elastic cloud compute. So it's very cool and we hope you all will bring us some of these things that we can actually explore more on. And finally, one of the fastest growing missions in public sector is happening above the clouds. And that's space, of course. So last year we launched our AWS uh, space team to focus on mission workloads, and which we're seeing uh, NASA this year completed the first ever all-female spacewalk. Tom Sostrom, who is, had to leave this morning, 
is the NASA JPL CTO. And I so, I want to give him a shout out. He comes every year. He participates in our hackathons, but he supports me doing a day for students. And he always goes in and talks to them about NASA and the programs, and they get so excited. So NASA has been a good partner of ours for a long time. And they're one of the groups taking advantage of AWS Ground Station. So we have a team now and a set of APN partners that are helping our customers develop solutions above the cloud. So if you're interested in knowing more about our space solutions and what we're doing, please talk to one of your account team members. And again, I want to really reemphasize, we started off the morning talking about technical debt and what you needed to do and a culture. And we, we talked about how Andy yesterday focused on leadership. Well, this is one of the most important ways you as an individual can really foster what you're doing around cloud, which is the commitment to the future of the mission based on talent. We started a program called AWS Educate in 2015 because we saw a gap in the technical talent. And it's just gotten bigger because the cloud has gotten bigger. So we created a no-cost online for students 14 and up to earn credentials and badges that they could share with potential employers. Curriculum for this is now translated into 10 languages with hundreds of thousands of students in more than 200 countries, and we're going to keep translating. But despite this progress, we still have a huge gap. So then we said, let's join educational institutions and create degree programs. So now we've created our first two-year degree program with Northern Virginia Community College, where we have our, we're going to have our first graduates this year from the two-year program. But we also now, believe it or not, have more than 100 institutions that have created curriculum with us, including entire states, Texas, Virginia, Louisiana, the institutions in the UK and Bahrain. And so we're, we're really excited because we're trying to add a pipeline of these individuals into our workforce. And Virginia is where our new HQ2 is going to be. So we've really gone into a full whole estate program with them because they feel like they're going to need thousands and thousands of jobs focused on cloud computing. So we're really trying to be proactive. Um, so you'll see more and more of these, but we have uh, degreed programs and we're looking to add these around the world. If you have ideas on universities or programs that want to get going with us, please let us know because we are not slowing down. But in addition to this, we have more than 500 military volunteers now that have actually also signed up and we've, we've got them into apprentice programs. We want to hire, uh, train and hire veterans which they are such an important part of our workforce. But most importantly, our workforce also benefits from students like Delika Gopasetti. Delika, say hi. There's Delika. Del Yay, Delika. Delika is now a prolific social media personality. She is all about tech. I met her in Virginia. She became passionate uh, about cloud as a young graduate student. Um, and now she's built her own skills, and I'm excited to announce that she is now an AWS employee starting in January because she's, she certified herself as a solution architect and a developer. So we're excited to have Delika, and I want more Delikas. So I, my, my goal is to build lots of Delikas around the world. 
And I will tell you a really fun story. We have a group we work with called Digital Divide Data, and they are helping young um, African uh, talent get, get skilled. They do a six-month program uh, where they train them just really fast and furious. And I just talked to the CEO. He said, you know you guys have hired two recent graduates. I said, no. And he said, one in South Africa in Cape Town, one in the UK. And he said, both of these uh, young individuals went from making $2 a week to $6,000 a month. I mean, it's game changing. And we can do this. This is something that we can do around the world. We can change this. So I wanted, I wanted you to understand Delika's story because it's so cool, but now I want to invite somebody to the stage that I've known for a long time, who's a leader in education. Um, he is the president and vice chancellor of RMIT University in Australia, and he's looking to teach skills and help them change their digital economy by creating these right talent programs. So please welcome to the stage Martin as he talks to us about what he's doing in Australia. Good morning, everybody. It is lovely to see you. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Teresa. Congratulations, Delika. I don't have to follow you this time up on stage. That was a nightmare last time. So, uh, and welcome, everybody. Yes, you see my uh, name there. Uh, it's Martin Bean. For the Americans in the room, I'll translate. That's Martin for you, okay? Now, I flew a very long way to get here, and you do not want to know what time it is in Melbourne right now. I have drunk three cups of coffee, and you had a wildly caffeinated bean on your hands. So hold tight, hang in there, translators do your best, and away we go. Now, Teresa's talked a lot about mission. I'm really clear as a college or university president that my mission is getting our students ready for life and work, unashamedly. And Teresa also mentioned that that mission can't just be about today. It's got to be what's our mission for the future. A lot of my peers say it's impossible to predict the future, so why would we overhaul our programs if we really don't know where the world is going to go? Well, my challenge is, if the Jetsons could do it, so could we. In 1963, the Jetsons predicted the smartwatch, FaceTime, a robot assistant, Rosie, I call her Alexa now, Hyperloop, drones, and 3D printing. If you look around, if you listen to Andy's speech, if you listen to Teresa's speech, if you visit the expo hall, the clues are all around us. Ladies and gentlemen, shift happens. And shift has always happened. But we're seeing an acceleration in the world of work now that all of us, 
all of us, if we believe in secure, vibrant, um, happy communities, will pay attention to. And it's really underpinned by this. 50% of jobs are at risk of replacement in 20 years. The statistics change a little, but, the, but the, the word I want you to focus on here is not lost, it's replacement. Our job is not to fear, not to be concerned about this, but to step up to our mutual responsibility to ensure not just young people, but people at every stage of their life develop the skills and competencies they need to be able to survive and thrive for themselves, their families, their communities, their nations. And what's really interesting to me is how two-thirds of the jobs will be soft skills, or what I call human skills, intensive by 2030. So the challenge for us is not to just develop the hard skills, but to also develop the people or human skills to go along with it. In the introductory video, there, if you were listening, right at the end, there was this wonderful man who said, yes, the technology will power our future, but we have to do it in a human way. I couldn't have had a better setup to my presentation today because you know what, folks? I have a 16-year-old, and she will likely have to navigate a world with 17 changes in employers across her life in five different careers. So she has to move from my world my world was I got to play from zero to five, learn from five to 25. I then had to work from 25 to 65. I'm trying to bring that down to 60. Then I get to play again and go skiing, which is an acronym for spending my kids' inheritance, right? So, um, but the world that my daughter will live in, and I would contend we are all in now, is a world where we still get to play, we still go to school, we've got job changes and career changes for life, but that learning has to happen every year or we're going to be left behind. And that means we need a new currency of knowledge. We need to rethink of ourselves and the way we learn as being pieces of knowledge as a currency in the world of work. And this is the old currency, still really important. It makes my grandma very happy that I've got this hanging on my wall. And I'm not saying it's going to go away, but the world we're moving in and we're in now is a world really where we have a new knowledge currency, and that's us. It's everything about us, our hard skills, our human skills, our life brought to bear in digital formats to bring it all alive. And that brings me to cloud, because in Australia, according to LinkedIn, it's in the number one in-demand hard skill, takes three months to recruit, which is double the industry average for technical roles in Australia. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I'm here. I'm here to talk about how brilliant it has been partnering with AWS across these three domains to really help get our students ready for life and work. The first area that I wanted to touch on is what we're doing in the education world with AWS Educate and AWS Academy, but also, you'll see here, we're launching a new master's program uh, next year in, in AI, and we, from day one, embedded RoboMaker and Rosbot 2.0 in that curriculum so that we can scale the teaching of robotics in the cloud, downloaded to the devices, game changer for our students. And if you look at the courses that we've rolled out for lifelong learners, I don't fear the disruption in tertiary education. I'm embracing it 
because the market for lifelong learners is infinitely greater than 18 to 24 year olds. So I'm building a 16 to 75 university and it's gonna be built on the back of the types of programs that we're working with AWS. And put that in perspective, in less than two years, we've had over 7,500 Australians enrol. Um, they've already got undergrad degrees typically, their average age is around 30, um, gender split roughly equal. They're coming to re-educate themselves because they wanna live vibrant lives for themselves, their families, and their communities. I, I always think as a president or a vice chancellor of a college, you're better off letting your students describe why that matters. I've always been fascinated and passionate about IT and digital, hence why I've made that my career over the past 17 years. And I wanted a slight change in direction, um, so I felt studying AI would be perfect for me. Increasingly, AI is the buzz around the industry, and I'd like to skill myself up to provide that offering. After the course, one of the world's biggest tech company solicited me for a unique new role as an AI cognitive linguist. The technology and the thinking, it is changing on a daily basis almost. So the only way to keep up is continual learning all the time. What a fantastic story. One of the other things that we did with AWS and Amazon more generally though, is we believe for a student to be successful, they've got to belong. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Aida. Hello. I'm here to help you find activities you might like between your classes. Built on the back of Lex and other services from Amazon, we bought a series of machine learning driven, interactive AI powered tools for our students to use to get answers to their questions about anything in the university 24 seven. And what we've got as you'll see there, not only 80% satisfaction, but already we've only rolled this out in the last year. We've saved 1500 hours of effort saved answering questions. All of those staff now are being redirected to do outbound interventions with students that we know are likely at risk. And we're just so thrilled to be one of the first universities to leverage Sumerian to be able to do that on our platforms. And that folks brings us to the reveal. So on Teresa's slide, there was a question mark. I am the question mark. I'm announcing today our cyberkick, ladies and gentlemen. This is, yeah, a big round of applause for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Teresa's talked a lot about being secure. Our kick's going to be all about building Australia's cyber capability and resilience. Back when I was working in the US, working with the US Armed Forces, 84% um, of cyber hacks are actually human error rather than it being about the technology. So this is all about enhancing awareness, literacy, and enable, enablement. Uh, as Teresa said, it's all built around challenges, so our students will be tackling real-world issues and developing those in-demand skills with government and industry. And I thought, what better to do than to, to bring into the room today our Federal Minister for Education to throw out the first challenge to our kick. I'd like to congratulate Amazon and RMIT for this wonderful collaboration. Uh, cyber is such an important part of our future and making sure that we've got cyber resilience right is just so important. So to RMIT and to Amazon, 
a big, big hearty congratulations. And as Australia's Education Minister, I'd like to throw out the first challenge to the first kick. We have over 200,000 graduates who leave our universities each year. How can we make them cyber ambassadors? How can we make them go out to workplaces, go back to their homes and create cyber resilience in our nation? I'd love you to take that challenge up and I'd like you to be able to come back to government and tell us how we could implement a policy or policy approaches which would help in that regard. Fantastic news. So delighted to see this happening and all the very best. Thank you, Minister. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my final thought to leave you with, our ability to learn will be a graduate's most valuable asset in the future world of work. Thanks to all of you and thank you to AWS for help us making sure we learn for life. Bye, everybody. Oh my, thank you so much. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Is he not amazing? I have known Martin for so long, and I will tell you, he is going to make this program so dynamic. Um, you can see why they love him in Australia and will not let him leave now. So thank you again. So now let's talk about building a better world. I've kind of gone through all of this, and um, Hearing what Martin's doing around the cybersecurity kick is a really important part of making our world a better place from a mission perspective. But we like to think about other ways that we get to serve our customers. And a couple of years ago, we launched a disaster management program uh, at reInvent where we said we need teams of individuals in AWS that can go out and respond to hurricanes and wildfires. We've worked with our service teams on this. Um, uh, and now we have over 100 engineers and developers across AWS and growing helping us with this. And edge computing is a powerful tool to actually help these teams. So as part of Hurricane Dorian, we provided two small AWS Snowball Edge devices and in-person support to the not-for-profit help.ngo. And this not-for-profit used these devices to quickly map and plan a response plan with the members of our disaster management team. Um, and they continue to meet, they're on call 24-7 with them, and they help support them along the way. So make sure you go out, and I encourage you to learn more about our disaster management response team. It's a really important component of what we're doing now around the world. We talked a little bit a while ago about an opioid crisis. Um, I'm from a small town that I told you about earlier, uh, which has affected the community I was brought up in. Uh, I'm from an amazing little place in Kentucky, and when I was home about a year ago, I, my parents were both teachers, and I set up a fund for education for them to give scholarships, and I talked to the superintendent of this school system that told me 50% of the students in the county that I'm from, um, either their parents are in prison, coming out of prison, or getting ready to go to prison all because of the opioid crisis. It is a, it's a national issue that we're facing. Um, we wanna help with this, and we're hearing it throughout cities uh, and states around the US for sure. And in 2018, we created the AWS Opioid Crisis Council. Uh, this council includes partners, public health leaders, and private sector health leaders, where we're working to identify data-driven solutions that we can both 
figure things out and take back into the local officials to try to combat and policymakers. So we've really got to work together to understand this crisis, uh, do something about it, and set the right policies and processes in place, and identify fraud with doctors and prescription um, individuals doing the prescriptions. It's a huge issue. So this is something that we really have got to do. The other one you've heard me talk about a lot is ending um, human trafficking, modern sex trafficking. Um, our customers now use AWS, and this is, an, again, one of the most urgent crises in the world, which is combating this. Uh, earlier this morning, you saw ICMIC, the International Center for Missing and Exploited Children, uh, where they talk about the work they're doing. You've also seen us um, working with uh, Thorn in the past, which is a not-for-profit, and they presented here. And the last time they presented, we talked about they were identifying eight victims of child sex trafficking every day. Now we're up to 10 a day, and we want to keep increasing that number. In total worldwide now, they've identified 14,000 children and over 31,000 victims of human trafficking. Again, a huge issue. We've got to deal with it, and technology can be an amazing way to help us do that. Another thing I hear about a lot is, of course, climate change, um, which is a big issue. And at Amazon, we take that very seriously. We are uh, prolific consumers of power. So um, our customers are helping us achieve great things around this. And in four years' time, AWS is committed to powering 80% of our energy needs from renewable uh, sources with partners around the world. And then by 2030, we've committed to 100% renewable power but we're not gonna stop there because we've announced solar farms and uh, wind farms that in 2024, we're committed to zero carbon footprint, which our uh, founder and CEO announced, Jeff Bezos, for our entire business, which is 10 years ahead of the Paris Climate Agreement. But we are proud to be the first company that does this, and we hope that you guys will join us in this commitment as well. So yesterday was Giving Tuesday, and usually my breakfast is on Giving Tuesday, but each year we'd like to celebrate our customers who are doing truly great things. And this year we wanted to highlight a customer who's improving the lives of sick children across the country, uh, which is a deeply personal issue for many of us here at AWS. Uh, but one of our biggest champions is one of my partners here at AWS is Mike Clayville. And he and I, he runs all of our commercial business. We've been here about the same time. And Mike is amazing. He works with lots of not-for-profits. He gives his personal time and money to these things. And I am so really, really honored that he joined me this year and last year to do something on Giving Tuesday. And I wanted him to come up and talk to you about kind of um, his personal commitment to this. And it's, it's really been fun for me to have somebody like Mike because I feel like we both kind of together do the not-for-profit. So Mike, come on up and um, give Mike a big hand. We, he's, he's my partner. Thank you, Teresa. I don't know if you need that or not. I'm not sure. I don't. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be on stage. This is such an important uh, area for all of us. 
Um, healthcare is critical because it impacts every one of us in a deep and meaningful way. I know with me, um, I lost my wife to cancer and we went on a 19-month journey where every other week we were in the hospital and, and not only going through our journey, but watching um, kids go through the same journey. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah. And so I'm delighted that we have a chance to give back in some way and support people that are really making a difference to the human condition. It's so true. And Mike, I've seen him do this. He, and, and he sends me, he'll say, Teresa, hey, have you worked with this organization or not? And we really try to do this. So, so we want you guys to join us on Giving Tuesday. Give from your heart. Give from your time. If you can't give from your checkbook, give of your time because all these organizations really need your help. And by the way, I would tell you that they also need your technical expertise. So if you want to give of your technical expertise to a not-for-profit that you love, they can use it because what I found now in working with a lot of these smaller organizations, technology can be a true game changer for them and how they make their money go much further. Oh, it's so important. It, yeah. It's so important. So I'll give you this story. One of the things that I, that I did was I started a foundation specifically to go help re, really smart researchers get access to technologists, right? Um, and if you, I, I went to... Uh, uh, one of uh, the uh, uh, labs at Stanford University, these really smart people trying to figure out how to cure cancer. And I asked him, so tell me what, what's blocking you today? What's keeping you from being able to cure cancer? And these oncologists and these, these biologists to a T said, it's a technology to help me support it. Yeah. And so it's super important and you can have a real impact on this mission if you give your time Yes. Oftentimes, even more than your money. I love that. And Mike does. And so I'm really honored. He and I kind of uh, put our money together this year. And together, we are giving a really important group that we love called Game Changer $250,000 uh, to go toward their mission to help children. And it's a son and father. Come on up. I want Jim and Taylor Carroll to come on up. <laughs> How are you? And they do amazing work. Um, and they've gotten everybody from Twitch celebrities to Hollywood celebrities to help them with gaming. But you guys, I want you to tell everybody about your program and what you're doing today, the progress of it, and then we want to give you a little check. Uh, well, hi, everyone. Uh, first off, thank you both so much for what you're doing and for your support of Game Changer. Uh, we started Game Changer roughly 13 years ago uh, when I was diagnosed, then terminally, with a rare form of cancer. Uh, my dad and I spent five years in hospital and saw the desperate need for innovation in the healthcare space. Uh, Mike, as you mentioned, that desperate need to make the hospital experience better for patients young and old. Uh, that manifested through us leveraging gaming, tech, and innovation in the healthcare space to support patient pain scores and education regarding their illnesses. Uh, what initially started is us donating uh, consoles and, and hardware to, to playrooms and other environments has since grown into um, VR, AR, as well as cloud-based solutions, all focused on distraction therapy and real patient empowerment. And we're excited to share as a you know, big part of working with AWS and really 
scaling the rapidity with which we can reach new hospitals. Since we've last met, we've been able to touch 75 new hospitals wow. um, in four new countries. Wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. And um, yesterday, uh, in partnership with Twitch and a wonderful extension that we built at last year's hackathon, uh, we were able to do a, um, a gaming event on Giving Tuesday, a primary way that we fundraise by bringing in influencers and esports celebrities uh, to do live events on Twitch. So we were able to do a live event yesterday raising funds. And as a thank you to AWS and all of you here, uh, they'll be at Dre's tonight from 7 to right. 10. Yay, so if any of you want to try your hands at uh, going against some pro esports players, we'd love to see you there. Oh, good. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. We are so delighted. And Dave Levy, who runs our not for profit business, has something for you all here. Aww. It's a really, I feel like it's the good housekeeping thing they do. But <laughs> the team put this together for you. So accept Aww. our gift from Mike, myself, and our teams on your support, the support of Game Changer. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. So if you need us to ship this, but or, or we can just like Venmo you. Yeah. We can Venmo, right? Go ahead and pull thank the you guys. You'll make it the yeah, thank, you thank, so you. thank you so Mike, much. And Mike, thank you so much. Thank you for making the time. Mike is really, really busy this week, so I'm so glad he took a moment of time. So I know everybody's trying to leave to get to other events now, so we're going to get through the rest of this really fast. Um, Quickly, I wanted to tell you, in addition to what we just did here for Game Changer, we now have a not-for-profit Imagine grant that we do uh, that really drives digital transformation for these not-for-profits. We launched it in 2018 in our first year. We awarded six not-for-profits, and you see their logos displayed. And we gave them monetary cash grants and credit. And by the way, again, we really don't, we try not to slow them down if they need more grants. We just kind of keep giving it to them to make sure that they're getting their program off the ground. Um, so I wanted you to quickly take a look at the winning proposals uh, for 2018. Imagine if any refugee in the world could have a translator available right from their phone. Imagine a world where people's lives aren't destroyed by hurricanes or fires or poor air quality. Imagine if in 10 years, everyone will have access to that power that data gives you so that we're all helping to drive more effective policies together. Imagine a world where everyone have access to quality food and no food goes to waste. Imagine a fair and accurate census where we help 550,000 people get counted who otherwise would not have been. Imagine if every child, every family, every individual you see out on the street had a home. Tech is really a critical component to reducing the barriers that case managers and individuals who are experiencing homelessness face when they're trying to find a unit. The Imagine Grant did exactly that with our lease-up program. So we actually have a web-based app that case managers can access with the individuals directly. And we know that they've been vetted for the people and families we serve. Community Connect Labs is a nonprofit software developer, and we help nonprofits and governments reach hard to count people. With the AWS Imagine Grant, we're building several tools, including a chatbot that will provide confidential answers to census questions in multiple languages through multiple channels. What Replay does is it's a, a matching platform and logistics that help deliver surplus food, leftover food from businesses to communities in need. 
having the opportunity to work with AWS is really freeing up a lot of resource for us and allows us to use their tools to have exactly what we need for exactly the right job. Our Imagine Grant project essentially aims to transform the way people are able to use data to make proactive policy decision making. And they can use this information to drive policy making processes that take hours and days, not weeks. We used this funding in order to help solve the problem of how to make people more resilient to emergencies and specifically climate disasters around the world. Kettle is climate change parametric insurance. This means that our customers never have to file a claim. We believe it's a human right to be heard and understood. And that's what Turgeon Blue fights for. With AWS, we use machine learning to predict the availability of our translators and match them within seconds with a refugee that needs help with language translation. So we're providing a way for them to feel like they're heard, like they're understood, like they're hopeful. Cool, huh? I mean, it's like amazing what these not-for-profits are doing. So now we'll get to, next year you'll get to hear from the 2019 winners and those winners are breastcancer.org, Creative Commons, Code of Supports Foundation, SkyTruth, Kiva, Alex's Lemonade Stand, and Childhood Cancer Data Lab. So next year we're gonna get to see what they've come up with. But if you wanna apply or reach out, go to aws.amazon.com slash imaginegrant. All right, now let's talk about serving the mission for our defense forces. That's a big jump, I know, isn't it? Not for profits to defense, but they need all this too. And our veterans need a lot of care as well. You've often heard from our defense leaders that they can't afford the fighting for tomorrow's conflicts with yesterday's technologies. And describe cloud as a viral, vital part of America's future for war fighting capabilities. At AWS, we are so proud to serve our Department of Defense, Intelligence, and Military Communities. And we are going to keep doing that from customers like DISA, NRO, NSA, NGA, and others who've been transforming with the use of AWS. The defense intelligence agencies are just beginning their cloud journey, but they're doing amazing work already. So we want to help them with their mission and continue that for the tools that they need to win the battles of today and tomorrow. And with that, I want to bring up someone who firmly believes that service members deserve quality and access to quality at every turn. Our final speaker of the day is going to talk about leveraging AWS to transform hundreds of thousands of of, of individuals who interact with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. They've been using AWS to manage critical systems and offload a lot of that technical debt through the Veterans Benefits Management uh, System. So here to explain more, I'd like to invite David to stage, who's the Director of Enterprise Cloud Solutions Office at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. David, come on down, or up. <laughs> It's going down. Thank you. I'm Thank you, Teresa. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dave Catanoso from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Enterprise Cloud Solutions Office, and today I'm going to tell you a little bit how we're executing our cloud strategy to really complete our sacred mission that was given to us by President Lincoln, which is to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan. And I joined the VA in 2011, and I can tell you that and as a former Army officer veteran myself, 
we take that mission to heart by serving the millions of men and women that make up America's veterans every day. For those of you who don't know much about the Vet Department of Veterans Affairs, or VA, let me just tell you a little bit about it. We are uh, the second largest U.S. federal department, second only to the Department of Defense. We have over 350,000 employees, and we're organized into three major business lines, which is the Veterans Benefits Administration, which processes thousands of claims for disability, education assistance, home loans every day. And we also have a Veterans Health Administration, which serves 10 million veterans operating 170 hospitals and 1,200 clinics nationwide, and the National Cemetery Administration, which operates 135 cemeteries across the country. Now, to support all those lines of business, each of which would be one of the largest commercial organizations of its kind if they were a private business, we have a huge corporate infrastructure, finance, accounting, HR, security, and of course, IT, lots of IT. And modernizing that IT to continuously improve and deliver service to our veterans at a more rapid pace and innovate is key to our, our goals. And we're in the middle of a digital transformation strategy that is, has migrating to the cloud and leveraging cloud technology at its heart. So in April of 2018, the VA formed our office, the Enterprise Cloud Solutions Office, to be the focal point of that strategy. We have really two main prongs to the strategy, the first of which is leveraging software as a service anywhere we can. As an example, we moved over 480,000 of our mailboxes, one of the first agencies to move all of our mailboxes to the cloud in record time. And the second part of that strategy is to build what we call the VA Enterprise Cloud. That's a cloud platform that has multiple cloud service providers, of course, one of which is AWS. Those built on their FedRAMP high government cloud offerings, they each provide our project teams direct access to all of the Amazon services like EC2 and S3 and all the ones we know about. But we also, on top of that, have added common tools that like Active Directory and orchestration tools that our teams can use. And above that, we've got a layer of operational tools for application performance monitoring, governance, um, security, that basically allow our teams, when they move into the cloud, to focus on service delivery and, and delivering their features and service to the veterans and not have to duplicate a lot of the same process that everybody else needs. On top of that, we're leveraging the security control inheritance capabilities of FedRAMP to simplify and make it faster for our systems to get their authority to operate, which is an important part of the process in the U.S. federal government. So let me tell you a little bit about a story, uh, a success story that we've had. Uh, most consultants, when you start your cloud migration journey, will tell you, start small, gain experience. But for reasons I'm about to explain, we took a completely different approach and moved one of our biggest, most critical systems to the cloud very early in our life cycle. So I mentioned the Veterans Benefits Administration processes thousands of claims every day. So imagine 4,000 subject matter experts working from Puerto Rico to the Philippines, processing and downloading documents, evaluating military service records, medical records, all day long to approve claims from veterans. And productivity, as you can imagine, is pretty important. The faster we can process claims, the faster we can get benefits to veterans. Well, that system, the Veterans Benefits Management System, which operates 24-7, manages 800 million documents, was starting to see performance and reliability issues in its legacy hosting environment. And not only that, they were literally running out of space to add storage devices to store all those documents as, the, as they grew. So how do we move a system that complex without disrupting service to our, our, our veterans and, and the users that use it? 
Well, essentially, we really were able to do it because of AWS and the services we leveraged. We leveraged things like S3, um, Amazon Snowball was critical to move 800 million documents very rapidly from the legacy data center up into the cloud. And we took advantage of the larger EC2 uh, instance sizes to, to downgrade from a very proprietary database management system to a much more cost-effective standard database management system and get better, and better results. And we did all that in eight months. And the first day we launched the system in the first week of May, the system processed 35, supported 3,500 users, and we got better response times on transactions than we had prior to migration. But after a few days, we started getting complaints from users that the document downloads for 100 megabit, 100 megabit size documents were much slower, actually two or three times slower than they were in the legacy environment. We didn't expect that, but because of the agility of the cloud, our cross-functional team of cloud experts from our team, Amazon, our on-prem network team, we were basically able to trace down that the, the fact was we hit a limit of the virtual gateway that was part of the Amazon VPC that we didn't expect to hit. But very agilely, we were able to spread the load across multiple VPCs and bring that document download time down, not just to the two to three minutes they saw prior to migration, but actually hit one minute and sometimes sub 30 seconds. And that just gave a huge performance boost to those folks that are working every day downloading documents and processing them so they could process more claims in a day. So it's been a huge win. And not only did we get a better performance, we got all the cost benefits of being in the cloud, the reliability, disaster recovery. It's been a really a huge success story for us. So as you can see from this chart, we're really taking advantage of Amazon and increasing our, our use of it. So we've got over 60 applications across our entire enterprise cloud. Today we have over 3,000 virtual machines that we operate in Amazon and store over six petabytes of data and that's growing constantly. Um, some of our most critical veteran-facing applications are also now in our Amazon cloud. For example, our Mission Act tools, which enable veterans to get healthcare not only from the VA but across, out in the community, are in Amazon. Just this week we launched our Forever GI Bill application, which extends uh, educational benefits to more veterans. And we're also moving, um, as I mentioned, we operate 170 hospitals and we have a proprietary uh, hospital management system, electronic health record management system called Vista. We migrated uh, that in the first one of those in June and we just migrated one of our largest hospitals at the end of October to Amazon. It's been running really well and we're looking at moving the rest of our, inner, our hospital systems into that over the next several years. And that's all in support of the work we're doing with DOD to put in place a capability to seamlessly transition medical records for veterans when they end their military career and transitioning to get care from the VA. So these are all the great things that we're doing uh, with Amazon. So the success of this strategy really wouldn't be possible with so many people helping us. So I really want to thank VA senior leadership for all the sponsorship and their vision to make this possible. The teamwork of countless VA and contractor experts, not only from my team, but from across our Office of Information Technology, Office of Information Security, and our acquisition team, and so many others. And, and I really want to send a shout out to our Amazon account team. They've been with us all the way and are really dedicated to the veteran mission, and we really appreciate that. Teresa, thank you for this opportunity to share our story, and I hope everybody has a great day. We love our veterans. Thank you so much for all you're doing. Thank you so much, honestly. We're proud to help you. Thank you, David. So, again, you, I, learned, I loved at the bottom of the slide, you know, supporting the veteran mission, which we really want to do. And I've got to cut, cut a couple more slides and we're out of here. But I didn't want to leave without talking to you really quickly about break away from restrictive licensing. Um, you noticed probably on October 1 that Windows Server's license that were purchased directly from Microsoft 
can no longer run on dedicated host or VMware cloud. Well, this change doesn't change the fact that AWS remains the market leader on Windows in the cloud. You heard Andy say yesterday, 57% of all Windows workloads run on AWS today. And we have over 10 years of experience running Windows before Azure even existed. So we've been running it for a very long period of time and helping our customers optimize. And again, we run nearly twice as many Windows instances as the next largest cloud provider, according to IDC. So how can you navigate this change? We wanted to just give you kind of four ways you could do it. But first, licenses purchased before October 1st can still be used. And you can continue to buy AWS as license included, and they'll work. But quite simply, there's no reason vendors should be dictating your choices to you. At AWS, we've always been super open with our customers. We allow you to navigate and run what you want to run. And doing this to me is super restrictive in what you're trying and kind of locking you out of what you need to do as a mission. But our team can help you navigate this, so I don't want you to think that you have to mold into this restrictive environment. But there's four options that I put here, and I'd love for you to talk to your account team, but you have our database freedom program, you have a rethink program, which covers license costs while you're migrating. We'll do that for you. We'll migrate you. The end of support, where you move from Windows Server 2003 to 8 to Windows Server 16 and 19. And then we talked about the Microsoft workload competency working with our partners. So please, we want to help support you on this. So your mission, if you choose to accept it for today, is by the end of the week, I want you all to move forward on your cloud journey. And here's four ways to get started. Connect with your AWS team, visit the partners in the expo hall, dive deep into all your ses sessions, and make sure you go see Dr. Vogel's keynote. He's amazing. And last and not least, you better show up at my public sector party tonight. Be there or be square. It starts at 7 p.m. at Dre's, and I look forward to seeing you. You all rock. Thank you for those who hung in here. I love you all. Thank you for coming. I'll see you out there. Bye. Happy holidays.